Well, I have a reputation to keep, so I'm going to start with a Star Wars illustration. If that's okay with you, if it's not okay, I have the mic, so... <laughs> so, <laughs> for the story before us, <laughs> normally we call this story the prodigal son, um, and there, there are just a lot of choices throughout the Star Wars universe. And really, this, whether or not you've grown up in the church, this kind of story, this framework that Jesus uses here is just kind of all over the place in our cultural zeitgeist, right? But I'll set, settle on one from episode seven, right? So episode seven, that's The Force Awakens. That's the, kind of the, the rebirth of the Star Wars franchise, right after Disney bought them. Um, and we meet a whole lot of new characters there, right? We meet a whole lot of new characters. We see one of them at the very beginning, just kind of in this shocking beginning. Um, that's Kylo Ren, right? If we know what I'm, who I'm talking about. In that trilogy, he's the guy dressed all in black with a red lightsaber. It's a different one for each trilogy. So he's that guy there. And we find out soon that his parents are Han Solo and Princess Leia. His given name is Ben Solo. And we eventually find out through that story and then you know, later on in the trilogy, we find out he, was, he had been one of the first students at Luke Skywalker's New Jedi Academy and then something had gone horribly wrong. We don't get the details in the movie, but something had gone horribly wrong. He turned his back on his parents, on his family, his Jedi training, turned his back on the future that he had thought that everyone had, th- had pictured for him and ran to the dark side of the force, taking everything with him, that he had learned everything with him. Now, later, later in the movie, after Han Solo and Princess Leia and Chewbacca and all of these famous characters make their big on-screen appearances, um, Han goes out on one of these rescue missions for the plot of the whole movie. But he goes on one of these rescue missions for another purpose, but Leia sends him out and says, if you see him, bring our son home. If you see him, bring our son home. And we find out there that Han and Leia, they've never stopped loving their son, even though, honestly, he's committed atrocities by this time. But they've never stopped loving him. They've never stopped wanting him to come back. But he didn't want to come back. So their hands were tied there. But here's the chance, right? So Han goes out on this mission, and on the way, he finds Ben. He finds his son. And he makes this impassioned plea for Ben to come back. And it, and it starts looking like Ben will actually come back. His hard facade looks like it actually starts breaking. And if you've seen it, you know what actually happens. But we, we can imagine what would have happened if he had actually wanted to go home. Han would have found him. He would have gone home. He would have been welcomed no matter, no matter how far out he had gone. And then the whole trilogy would have just ended right there because there goes the whole plot. But he just had to want to be found and want to go home. Now, Kylo slash Ben, he has this whole redemption arc through the trilogy that I'm not going to bore you with. But um, we see the same thing in the story that's before us today, don't we? The younger son leaves, and he's away for a while. We don't know how long, but he's away for a while. But the father has never stopped waiting for him and watching him. And maybe the father has searched for him. Jesus doesn't say anything, but maybe that's been there. But none of that actually changes anything until the younger son wants to come back, wants 
to be found, right? And that's where we find ourselves today. We're calling this lost and found because that's normally how we see this story. The son is lost and then he's found, but it's really nuanced here because the son has to want to be found and we have to want to be found. But we have to start all of this with this big grand theological vision, this truth that God wants to find us. We always start there. God wants to find us. And we see that we understand the context here. And we see this. Noticing the first three verses. Normally what we do with these parables of Jesus, we skip the whole framing that the authors put the parables in and we focus on just the parables. And sometimes that's good, but the framing here is so important. So the first three verses, we find out who Jesus is talking to here. Do we remember what it said? Right? We have the tax collectors slash sinners over here and the Pharisees slash legal experts over here. So we have the socio-religious outsiders and the socio-religious insiders here. And what were they doing? Noticing the action words here, right? The tax collectors, sinners, outsiders, they were gathering, they were listening to what Jesus had to say. And then the Pharisees and the legal experts were grumbling about those people and saying and making their pronouncements and their judgments about who Jesus should and shouldn't be around. So Jesus knows all of this is happening. He knows these dynamics when he's going into this situation. So he tells them these parables. And the one before us today is the third one in this series. And it's kind of what the first two are leading toward. We might be familiar with the first two. The first one, we have the parable of the lost sheep. There's a shepherd who has 100 sheep. He finds out one of them has run away. He's lost one sheep. So the shepherd goes to find this one sheep. He finds the sheep. He brings it back to the rest of the 99 who he's left behind, and he throws a party. And then we have the second one. A woman has 10 silver coins. She loses one, and she starts tearing apart her house, leaves the nine, tearing apart her house to find just the one coin. And she finds it, she brings it back with the others, and then she throws a party. And both of them end with a variation of this. There's more joy in heaven over one person who returns than over all the ones who were still there and had never left. So he's saying to the the socio-religious insiders here, y'all have been here and you've never left home. These new ones are finding their way home. And God's throwing a party for that. Whatever you're doing or not doing, God is excited for this, even if you aren't. So that's the framing, and Jesus tells this longer parable that we have before us here. And continuing that theme, God wants to find us. And the first character we meet in this story, we call it the prodigal son, but the first character we meet is the father. And that is who this story is really about, I think. Not the so-called prodigal son, because this father, he has two sons, and they do what they do, But the father remains at the center and wants both of them to come home. And so just like those first two parables, God always wants to find us. 
God will leave the 99, leave the 9. God will stay on the porch searching the horizon for us. God will never stop wanting to find us. God will never stop calling us back home and home to God, home to ourselves, home in the body of Christ. This is the truth that we start on with. But then Jesus introduces some complexity here with the two sons. The father wants to find the younger son. But the younger son has to want to be found. So the younger son here, he does the the unthinkable. He asks for his one-third of the family estate that would have been due him at his father's death. So he's saying to his father, I wish you were dead. Give me what's coming to me now. So the father does whatever he has to do and at that time for the, to legally sign over one-third of the property to his son and the son apparently sells that deed of sale, sells that, sells that title and leaves with all the proceeds of that. So he just completely cuts off his ties with his family and, and not just his family but the whole community, the whole village around his family and just completely ostracizes himself from everything and everyone he knew. And we heard how it goes. If you grew up in the church, you're probably familiar with it. The younger son eventually finds himself at the lowest point he could ever find himself in his life. And he realizes his father's hired hands, they at least make a living wage. So he says, I know that I've ostracized myself. I've written myself out of their life. I am no, basically, I'm no longer a son. I'm no longer a brother. But maybe... They're looking for workers. And I at least have some experience to put on my resume for that. So let me go back and see what I can do there. Maybe I can at least make a living wage there and get a little better than wishing I was eating pig food. So we heard what happened. He has this speech rehearsed that I imagine he's just kind of been repeating over to himself as he trudges his way back home. But he starts coming back and the father sees him a way out and the father runs out and welcomes him with these open arms and doesn't even let the son get through this speech that he's been practicing the whole way home. He just welcomes him with these open arms and throws a party and invites everyone so the whole community knows that this son of his is accepted back as a, fa- as a member of the family again and should be treated as such. And we hear that famous refrain, The son was dead and is alive. And he was lost and is found. Now that, the lost and found, that struck me as odd this week. Because Jesus doesn't tell us of anyone actually looking for the son. Now, over the years, Barbara Brown Taylor has this way of saying uh, parables and stories like this that are talked about all over the place, they get, she calls them limp from handling. Right? So we've heard this story so many times if we've been up, grown up in the church. All of these extrapolating so many things from the story, which it's not necessarily bad, but sometimes we forget what G, the words that are actually on the page. And we see Jesus says, as Jesus says it, no one is actually looking for this son. He leaves, and we don't know what's happening. We don't read of anyone actually looking for him. 
But at Sermon Starters this week, someone made this good point that I hadn't thought of. The first two stories that we read, the sheep and the lost coin. The lost and found thing really makes sense there. Because the sheep and the coin were lost, and the shepherd and the woman went searching, and they found them. Right, So that makes sense. They were lost, they were searched for, and then they were found. That makes sense there. But those were objects. That was the point that was made. Those were objects. They didn't have agency. They didn't have choice. So the focus could, was only on the shepherds and the woman's search for them. But now, people are more complicated. We are not objects. We have agency. We have choice. We have power in ourselves. So we have to want to be found. We can know that God wants to find us, that God is actively searching and wooing us back. But we will not be found. We will not be found unless we want to be found. God wants to find us, but that has to be met with our desire to be found for anything to change. And there's this further nuance here. We often, often reduce this story to just God finding us, us wanting to be found, and we just leave it there. Just me and Jesus, and that's it. But in the story, this is not, the, being found was not just between the younger son and the father, and it wasn't just between them. The father threw this party. And that wasn't just because he was happy. It wasn't just because he wanted to throw a party. It played this really important social role because he invited the whole village and that communicated to the whole village, I accept this son back. We have all written this son out for good reason. But I accept this son back. He is now back. He is now among us. He is now a contributing member of the community again. He is no longer ostracized. He is now, again, one of us. So it wasn't just between the son and the father. And the bit about the older son emphasizes this. I often forget about that ending. I just kind of end with the party and then forget about the older son. But we read what happens. The older son, he comes in from the field. He hears the party. And he finds out that it's for his younger brother, who he, he doesn't count as his younger brother anymore. But this person, it's for him. And he's angry. Okay, he was lost and he was found because he wanted to be found. But what if I did not want to find him? What if I did not want him to be found? What if I wanted him to stay lost? And see, here's the real tension underneath this whole thing. Because this is where Jesus speaks directly we remember the two parties who were listening to Jesus, the, the tax collectors, sinners, outsiders over here, and the Pharisees, legal experts, and insiders over here. And this is where Jesus speaks directly to the insiders here, to the Pharisees, religious experts, the religious insiders, the elite, the privileged ones. These tax collectors and sinners, these outsiders, you don't want them to be found. Whatever you say, or maybe you say you want them to be found, but they first have to give up everything about themselves and be like you, and then they can be found. But that's not what God is doing. That doesn't match up with the divine reality here. God is calling all people to God's self just as they are, whatever you're doing. 
So there's a calling for a whole community here. We have to want to be found ourselves. And the community must want to find and welcome those whom God wants to find and welcome. Now this is the fourth Sunday of Lent. As we're journeying to the cross, to the grave, eventually to the resurrection, we remember that this kind of boundary-breaking inclusion is part of what got Jesus killed. This was not a kumbaya moment for the powerful. Jesus is proclaiming this vision of a God wanting to find those whose society did not want to find. And that really flew in the face of how society was structured, how the elite enjoyed their privilege, and, and the powerful don't like it when that's challenged. So I think this leaves us with two callings today. First, may we open ourselves up to the desire to be found. May we want to be found. Now, this story is often told, as I've heard it, this story is often told and it's related to some egregious sin, these people who are just hopelessly lost. And that makes it a little hard to relate to it if you're like me and have no egregious, huge sin lying in your background. It's a little hard to relate to that way. But I think all of us are in some way lost, in less than obvious ways. But maybe we are lost or we're disconnected from ourselves, from our bodies, from our spirits, from our needs, from who we truly are. Maybe we've lost that touch, lost that connection. Maybe we're disconnected from each other. The, the, the bonds holding us to other humans are fraying thin, or maybe they've broken, or maybe they've just never existed at all, and you're left kind of floating out in the middle of the ocean alone, even when you're surrounded by other people. Lost. Or maybe you are lost and disconnected from God. The divine spark within you feels like it's sputtering out. It's been, it's been a while since you felt any kind of inspiration from beyond yourself. Maybe there's even this cosmic kind of loneliness where you just feel left behind, forgotten about, lost. I think we're all in some way lost. And we are journeying together toward that day when we remember that Jesus went to the cross to bridge that separation, to identify with the lowest of the low who are lost, the most marginalized, and everyone on the way down. And Jesus went there because he wants to find us. But we must meet that with our own desire to be found. Now, that requires some vulnerability to really sink into that. And we don't like vulnerability. I know I don't. Because to, to admit that I want to be found means admitting that I am in some way not an island, not completely self-sufficient, existing alone and separate from other people, from other support. But we start with the truth that God wants to find us. 
that God wants us to come home, that God wants us to be home within the whole body of Christ, all the people who have found their way back home to themselves, to each other, to Jesus, our desire to be found will be met with an incalculably greater divine desire to find us. So may we want to be found because we will be found. And second, may we all together as an expression of the body of Christ known as King Avenue, may we open ourselves, may, meaning may we open our community up to find whoever needs to be found. That we would find those who God wants to find. That we would welcome those whom God has already found. Those who have already found their way home. May we open ourselves to find them. Because I, I know that we pride ourselves on inclusivity. And from everything that I've seen since I've started in July, I, we, we truly do welcome many kinds of people who many churches don't welcome. And I feel so blessed every day to be a part of that kind of community. But at the same time, at the same time, every single community of humans who has ever existed has had certain demographic categories or certain communities of people or certain kinds of humans who aren't quite as welcome and accepted as other categories or communities or kinds of humans. So this story calls us to self-examination. Who are we reluctant to welcome into our community with a wholehearted embrace? Or who do we say that we want to welcome, but they just got to tick a few boxes on our acceptability standards? Or who do we just not know how to fully welcome? All faith communities do this. No matter how inclusive and no matter how expansive our vision, we all have certain groups of people who in actual practice aren't quite as welcome as other groups. And every church does this because we're all messy communities of people who are themselves in various degrees of messiness. But this story calls us to self-examination, that we might ever draw the circle wider, that we might find those whom God wants to find, that, that we might welcome those whom God has already found. So may we want to be found. And may we, as a whole community together, welcome all the outsiders, whom God has already found. Let's pray. God, we thank you for finding us. We thank you for welcoming us when we want to be found. We pray for the vulnerability, the determination, the resolve 
to want to be found ourselves. And God, we pray for eyes to see and a heart to discern all those ways that we, could, we as a community could grow a little bit in who we want to find, in who we want to welcome, that our desire to welcome might match who you want to welcome. God, we pray all this in your name. We said together, amen.